On today's episode of Neyland's Basement, we'll look back at Bowl Mania, discuss the biggest winners and losers of 2022, and preview the national championship. All right, everybody, welcome into the, I guess, post-Bowl Mania pre-national championship edition of Neyland's Basement. I am your host, Tucker Harlan, alongside Dominic Throngard, Devin Hoke. Guys, we have got a lot to discuss today, so let's just get right into it. Let's talk about the Orange Bowl first, since it's most relevant for us here in Neyland's Basement. Number six, Tennessee, never trailed in their 31-14 win over number seven, Clemson. Uh, Joe Milton had 251 yards, three touchdowns through the air. Not his best day, but it was good enough to get the job done. And Clemson really struggled from the get-go on this one offensively. I mean, they faked a field goal early on in the game. And then following that, their kicker, BT Potter, did the impossible, missed three field goals in the first half. I don't think I've ever seen a guy do that, especially after only having missed three the entire season. And... I mean, the Vols' defense, they they were allowing a lot up until the red zone, but the thing is, Clemson made the red zone seven times. They only scored a touchdown on one of those possessions, which is crazy. Uh, Klubnik, Cade Klubnik took a lot of hits in this game. Overall, was it was a solid day for him, but he had a couple picks late in the game. I think they were mainly just because of desperation more so than anything, but overall, very, very impressive win for Tennessee. Yeah, this one was incredible. I mean, the defense was absolutely outstanding this game, which is not what we expected from this Tennessee team. Uh, just throughout the game, they continued to pound Club Nick and make sure that he had a rough time getting the ball off. And they, like you said, they bend, they bent, but they didn't break. And I mean, we got to make BT Potter an honorary VFL because those missed kicks were insane, dude. <laughs> Watching that live, it's just. You never expect a kicker to miss that much, but I mean, I think what happened is the guy just was not confident after Davo said to him, okay, on this first one, we're actually going to fake it because, you know, I don't trust you or whatever is kind of what a kicker probably felt like. So that is a bit of a bummer for that guy, but I really like Joe Milton's performance in this one too. Although it took him a good while to sort of get going and Tennessee's defense is what kept us so well in this. Uh, Joe Milton, like his passing just looked so much better. He has way more touch, way more control, looked really, really in control throughout this game. Yeah, Milton uh, was looking very accurate uh, at the end of the game. And especially there's that one deep shot, I believe it was to um, Ramel Keaton, if, if I remember correctly. It was just perfect on the money uh, over the shoulder, down the sideline. Uh, perfect, perfect pass. Uh, so he showed us a lot of potential, what he could do next season. As for Clemson, uh, now I was at the game live, so yeah, I, I didn't too. see like all the usual things on TV that you normally see. But from what I've heard from people that saw it on TV, uh, they were telling me, hey, you know, I know you were at the game, but you know, every time Klubnik made an error, uh, you know, Dabo Sweeney would just rip into him on the sidelines. And I don't think that really helped things. Uh, I think that just probably made things worse. Uh, as Dom was saying earlier with 
uh, trying to fake the old goal. I think what happened is Potter's confidence was shattered and Klubnik's confidence throughout the game uh, was pretty much shattered as well. And the whole team just kind of felt that. And, and it was just hard for them to come back, um, even if they could have, because uh, I just don't think Clemson did enough to prepare their guys uh, mentally and physically for this one. But he's got a long off season. We'll have to see, uh, you know, how he performs next season. But yeah, that, that was a tough look uh, for them. Really fantastic win for Tennessee. I expected this one to be much closer. Uh, so I'm really, really proud of how the season ended. Heifel has proven that he is the real deal. This Tennessee team, I think going into next season, he's going to be one of the three SEC juggernauts along with Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Joe Milton did not have close to his best game. I mean, he got better as the game went on. But, you know, he did enough to get the win. And, you know, they had three receivers, of course, from El Keaton, Squirrel White, Brew McCoy, all did what they needed to do. I mean, they weren't, you know, the, the Jalen Hyatt performance they had against Alabama, obviously. But to win this game by 17 against a team that has been atop its conference for the better part of the last 10 years, I think is pretty incredible. And <clears throat> this season has just been filled with, program-changing win after program-changing win this year for Tennessee. And they've they've been on the cusp of that for a while. They really have. I mean, it just feels like the last however many coaches they've had, they've had opportunities where they can knock on the door um, but ultimately haven't come up with the big wins and the big moments. I could count about five big wins this year for Tennessee that I could really say change the direction of this program. So, after this one, you got to feel pretty confident if you're a Tennessee fan going into next season in what Josh Heupel's got. Um, moving on, we got a lot more to talk about with Bowles. We'll start off with the CFP here. This was, without a doubt, the best CFP weekend that we've ever had, at least for semifinals. Start with the Fiesta Bowl. Number three, TCU outran number two, Michigan, 51-45. Instant classic, to say the least. Frogs would score on a pair of pick sixes uh, in this one, so that, that went, worked well for them. Amari Di Mercado, 150 yards and a touchdown on the ground for the Frogs as well. Quentin Johnston had six catches, 163 yards and a touchdown, which that touchdown, I believe, was the one that really put this game out of reach for Michigan. Surprisingly good day for Roman Wilson and Ronnie Bell through the air for Michigan. I wasn't expecting this. Uh, 11 catches, 239 yards and two touchdowns. And, guys, the f- the third quarter had 44 points scored in it, just absolutely insane. I mean, we, we hear the phrase drunk game uh, as far just, – just to associate with games that kind of feel like they're getting out of control. This was definitely a drunk game. Absolutely. Just one of the most wild playoff games we've ever seen. I mean, the playoff format was getting critiqued for a while because semifinal matchups have not been exciting. This weekend really helped prove that wrong. I mean, this game was just incredible from start to finish. And I I just can't believe it for Michigan, honestly, because they continue to get disappointment after disappointment over there. I mean, and then now we're getting news that Harbaugh might be on his way out yet again. I mean, life as a Michigan fan must be miserable. This game really, really helped settle that in for Michigan fans. I don't think... I don't think they're going to be able to get over the hump anytime soon. Yeah, and the other difficult thing for Michigan, uh, and of course this isn't everything now with the transfer portal, but 
Michigan also has not been recruiting uh, very well either. They're only, uh, I think at the end of the cycle, they were only at number 18 or 19 in the country. And that's a team that's in the college football playoff and has as big of a brand as they are. They were basically at the same ranking TCU um, had in recruiting. So um, heading into the next cycle. So I absolutely love this game. I really like this TCU team all season long. I've believed in them. I've watched them. I really think that they can do it and they can win it all. And here they are in the national championship with the chance to win it all. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Duggan, you know, he didn't have his most spectacular game that we've seen, but he was still effective when it counted. Uh, Quentin Johnston, of course, is, is really should be a first round wide receiver. He has so much talent, uh, just reminds you so much of some of these guys in the NFL, like Mike Evans or possibly even DeAndre Hopkins, possibly uh, just an amazing, amazing wide out. Uh, and TCU got this win despite, well, both teams had serious injuries. So that had to be taken into account, Quorum's injury and, of course, Keandre Miller's injury. Uh, early in the game, both were without their star running back, basically. But, uh, you know, Michigan's play calling, just not smart, not smart in this game, way too aggressive, way too early. Uh, I think they panicked a little bit when TCU got a lead because Michigan most of the season had had a lead against every team they played, basically right from the start, even against Ohio State. And this was the first game where TCU, where they were down early and TCU came out in front. And I think they just panicked and started making way too gutsy plays. Their fourth down Philly special, Michigan special was a disaster. Uh, That's not what they've been doing on fourth downs all season. If they go for it, it's a way more uh, conservative but smarter play that that goes to their scheme better. Uh, Just not smart play calling from Michigan. I don't think Harbaugh's going anywhere, but uh, I think uh, he either will make some changes to his staff again, or, or I mean, there are a lot of young guys, so they'll just have to learn from this and just stick to what's been working all season. Don't try to get too fancy just because you're losing early. Yeah, definitely, and you know, <clears throat> I don't know who's kicking themselves more in this game. Michigan fans because they choked once again, or Oklahoma fans because how many college football playoff appearances was that without making it through to the uh, championship game? And TCU did it in one game. I mean, that's incredible for them. And I mean, Oklahoma, yeah. that that's just, <clears throat> that just shows you how disappointing it is uh, for them and, you know, what they have with Lincoln Riley. So, I mean, they're obviously not in any better place now, but yeah. yeah I absolutely, I absolutely love that. It's not Texas. It's not Oklahoma nope. that are yep. the Big Twelve teams advancing. It's TCU, even yep, though those are the two teams leaving to the SEC. Yeah, it's it's a pretty <laughs> funny thing to think about. Um, the other college football semifinal game or CFP semifinal game, rather, uh, this was another great one. Number one Georgia came from behind to beat number four Ohio State, forty-two forty-one. Another instant classic. Uh, the Bulldogs would cash in on a late touchdown pass to Ad Mitchell, and. Ohio State really did have a shot to win this game. C.J. Stroud was putting them in a good position, but ultimately I just think that, you know, that what they were doing down there in Georgia territory was not setting up Noah Ruggles well. Um, And this is the second college football playoff game in a row for Georgia where they have seen an opposing receiver go down that was – 
just just meant everything to the team. I mean, Jamison Williams last year meant a lot for uh, Alabama, and of course he tears his ACL in that national championship game. Marvin Harrison was the guy this time around. I mean, they lose him. I I, I think he was looking like he wanted to come back in the game, but the medical staff wouldn't let him. I mean, they he didn't pass whatever protocols they set for him. And that obviously was a big hit that Ohio State had to deal with the rest of the way. And to me, one of the best moments in this game for Georgia was actually when Kirby (coughs) called the timeout just before the fake punt that Ohio State was about to run. And, I mean, it's a little thing, but if Ohio State converts on that fake punt, we may be looking at a very different result here. Without a doubt. I mean, Kirby has just proven to be one of the best coaches in the nation for sure. And honestly, in this game, I'm most impressed with Stetson Bennett. He really, really proved he had something to prove to people, and he went out there and did so. I mean, that last drive for Georgia, there were like, I think, two separate fourth downs where he converts on them. And I mean, it just takes a lot as a quarterback to be able to lead your team to that. Stetson Bennett is a great story as much as we hate him in Tennessee because of the fact he took a rightful Heisman finalist seat I still feel like Stetson is one of the more incredible stories in college football just from where he came and then to the heights he's reached it's still very remarkable and then that missed kick at the end was so tragic but I mean at the same time I've always really hated Ohio State so that felt that felt pretty good but I mean Georgia still had to win that one, so I don't know how good it really felt. But, I mean, the Big Ten, they couldn't get it done. Just one of the worst years for that conference, I feel like. Yeah, uh, honestly, in this game, I felt like, you know, both teams are winners in in this one because they both played uh, so well. Uh, They both really – like Ohio State came in, and people were not giving them much of a chance – and they showed that, like, all the Alabama fans are like, oh, yeah, well, it should have been us at number four. It's like, well, no. And Ohio State came in, and they proved that they belonged as that number four spot, uh, that they are, were a pretty amazing team. Uh, just Georgia was just slightly better. And uh, I will say, I think Georgia, that like, obviously, I still think they won it legitimately, but they did get some favorable spots at times, some favorable calls, like the Brock Bowers first down, where it looked like, you know, he was that short. That one was definitely a first down. That one was definitely a first down. No yeah, you're mind. right. That was a first down, Dom. I mean, that was just – it, it didn't look like it in real time, but that yeah. play was actually just incredible athleticism for Brock Bowers. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. I actually think I am remembering that now. He did stretch yeah. across, yeah. So he, he had his body positioned perfectly there to get that first down. He couldn't have done it yeah. any better. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that now. Like at first, it was like, okay, that's not a first down, and they showed it like way slow. So they did get that one right. But the hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. I still think now it wasn't helmet to helmet, but there was still forcible contact uh, to the head neck area. He was defenseless. Uh, I still think you could have called something on that. The problem is they called targeting, so they didn't call unnecessary roughness. So they had to either say it is targeting or it isn't. Uh, But I still think you could have made the case there that it is targeting, but 
uh, that was really close. I think they should have stuck with the call on the field because it was so close. Uh, but they picked it up, and I was very uh, surprised by that. Uh, very surprised. Um, especially since it injured Harrison, took him out for the rest of the game. Uh, but other than that, I mean, amazing game. C.J. Stroud played so incredible without Travion Henderson, without Mayan Williams, basically, uh, without Marvin Harrison. Uh, and he still played amazing. And they lose this game. I, I feel so bad for him because his legacy, you know, to me, he's he's one of the best Ohio State quarterbacks there's ever been. But he lost to Michigan both times, lost in the playoff. You know, people are going to remember those things. But, uh, you know, he's such an amazing quarterback. I think Ryan Day is one of the best coaches in the country. So, to me, Ohio State's going to be back in this position. I think it's only a matter of time before this team ends up winning a national championship, uh, just not this year. Yeah, let's just hope C.J. Stroud's a Titan, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah so we'll have to see. I, I hope he is. I mean, it doesn't look like they're progressing very well with the quarterbacks in Tennessee right now, but if he is, I mean, that's great. Uh, other New Year's Six Bowls, we'll start off with the ones that were not as good. Um, the Rose Bowl, number 11, Penn State, beat number 8, Utah, 35-21. And there's really only one thing that dictated this game, and that was Cam Rising's injury. I mean, at that point in the game, I mean, it, it's horrible because he's been injured in two of these Rose Bowls in a row now and been taken out of the game. But this this one, I mean, it was just a complete momentum killer. I mean, Penn State got up 35-14 in this game. Not to take away from their performance at all. I mean, Nick Singleton was great offensively for Penn State in the backfield, but it's just unfortunate what happened there. Yeah, that one was really tragic because, I mean, Cam Rising was helping Utah compete so much in this game, and then uh, pretty much as soon as he comes out, the backup walks in and throws a pick. It, it couldn't have been scripted worse for these guys. And it, it was a really disappointing Rose Bowl, I have to say, just because he usually – the college football playoff is the one that disappoints and all the other bowl games are a little bit disappointed. Then the Rose Bowl steps in is the best game you've ever seen. And then this year, it's just probably the worst bowl game uh, out of the big ones. Yeah. Uh, and, and what's interesting about this Rose Bowl is, is usually the weather, of course, is perfect in Pasadena on January 1st or January 2nd. Uh this time it was like 50 degrees, 55 degrees. and It was and a sign. Down rain. And yeah, and then it was like, yeah, exactly. It was a sign of things to come. And, uh, and so it was just very unusual weather. And those Penn State guys are kind of like, hey, this is kind of the weather we're used to. So maybe that helped them out um, a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day for Utah, I think what happens to them is they're able to beat teams that they're more physical than that they have better conditioning than like USC for instance which I know we're going to get into that so I'm not going to say too much more about that but um, but when it comes to teams that they are equally as physical against um, equally as well conditioned then that's where they typically seem to lose because then the talent of Penn State ends up overtaking that uh, guys like Singleton and Katron Allen which it's amazing that they're both just freshmen running backs and they're two of some of the best running backs, uh, like gotta be like the best freshman running back duo I've seen, um, in a long time. And, and they just dominated, uh, 
you know, so so Utah, you know, they can easily overpower teams that don't have the conditioning right, but they match, matched up against a team that was equally as physical, and that just wasn't a good matchup for Utah, especially with Rising going down. Really unfortunate uh, for them. And the difference, of course, this time was last year, Rising went down late in the game against Ohio State, and Barnes was only was able to come in only for like a drive or two. Uh, this time, Barnes, of course, had to play the majority of the game, and yeah, you know, he's got a lot of work to do. No, that was not good at all for them. And you know, this this is a good win for Penn State because I think a lot of people question this team. I mean, probably the worst ten and two team in the country, I think, going into this game because they had beaten up on a lot of just not as good teams in the Big Ten. And whenever they saw a real team like a Michigan or an Ohio State, they, it just didn't go well for them. So this is a good win for them, get a good win over a top 25 team because they hadn't beaten a top 25 team all year. So very good win for them in the Rose Bowl. To the Sugar Bowl now, uh, this is another blowout. Number five, Alabama, just mowed through number nine, Kansas State, 45-20. Good game for Deuce, 133 yards and a touchdown. You can't complain about that. But overall, Bryce Young, really dictated the outcome of this one he threw for 320 yards and 321 yards five touchdowns that's to five different receivers as well and the fact that he threw it to five different receivers just tells me why this guy is going to be the next quarterback of the houston texans because (laughs) what he's able to do with a group of receivers that's probably the worst since nick saban's been at alabama it's really incredible because he can make plays that are just not there before me shifts around, makes throws that, you know, that, that were not originally supposed to be there, but it works somehow. And, you know, not to poop on Mac Jones at all, but you know, he did, he had a lot of good receivers when, when he was at Alabama, he was kind of gifted that. And now that he's in the league, we're kind of seeing, okay, maybe this guy was good because he had NFL talent around him, but now he's throwing at Jacoby Myers and, you know, things are not going as well for him. But Bryce Young clearly did not have that many good receivers this year for at his disposal, and he still made the most out of it that he could, and he's definitely the number one pick because of it. Yeah, I, I don't see any argument for Bryce Young not being the first overall pick. The guy is just remarkable, and he's so fun to watch, too, because of the way he moves in the pocket. And he does make those passes that weren't originally there, like you were saying. He just has such fluidity to his game that it's it's hard to look away when he's playing. He just He's a very good player. Yeah, Young, Young is such a special talent. Uh, I really think he's, he's one of the best quarterbacks we've seen um, in a long time, like best since Joe Burrow. Um, and... Uh, young is is just so dynamic, and the thing is, he literally is like the perfect floor general point guard, like from basketball, where he knows everything that's going on on the field. Now everybody's all focused on their own individual task, and then here he is as the general of the offense, and he knows exactly where everybody's supposed to be. He knows exactly what the scheme is. And so even if, like, everybody's covered up, he knows that he can just flip it out to somebody, like, wide open uh, in the flat. And he's dangerous with his legs. He's super quick. And he knows how to avoid hits, too. So he also hasn't taken a huge amount of big hits. Uh, if the Texans don't draft him number one overall, I just don't know what they're thinking there because they have to go get this guy because he's going to change their franchise 
no doubt in my mind. Uh, no, like just just like Burrow's done with Cincinnati, I expect Young to do the exact same thing with the Texans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last New Year's Six Bowl here, the Cotton Bowl. This was the best of the New Year's Six Bowls that were not called the CFP. Number sixteen, Tulane won what I would call an instant classic over number ten USC, forty-six to forty-five. Green Wave trailed the entire game. They did not lead until the very end. Um, but really a great day for this team offensively. Michael Pratt, solid game for him. 234 yards, two touchdowns for him. But Ty J. Spears was the man for this team. 205 yards, four touchdowns on the ground for him. Great game overall. Caleb Williams still looked like a Heisman. 462 yards, five touchdowns, one just one interception. And, I mean, it, it was not a good throw by any means, but he did what he was supposed to the rest of the game. And this game really just goes to show you that Lincoln Riley has not learned his lesson that messed him up at Oklahoma because with the lack of a defense that's, you know, actually stopping people, you're not going to win any championships. He was not able to do it at Oklahoma. And I think that's what USC fans, unfortunately, are going to find out if he doesn't figure this thing out quick because, they can be at the top of the Pac-12 for however long they want to be with him. I mean, with the Pac-12, it's it's not an incredible – it was better this year than it had been in the past as far as the depth. But, you know, just his lack of ability to field a good defense is what's going to hurt this team's success. They won't go anywhere from where they are now is what I'm trying to say. They're not going up if they don't fix this situation. Yeah, there's definitely a ceiling on how good a Lincoln Riley team can get just because this is really a game where Tulane should have not won. Tulane was down pretty decently at some points, and USC just continued to let them walk all over their defense. And I mean, if you're Caleb Williams, you have to be so mad because it's not often you put up a stat line like that for your team to lose and for it to not matter at all. This was just a disaster class by USC, to be honest. I don't think a team like that should be in such a bad position defensively. And I mean, you see with teams like Tennessee, who have that same kind of high-tempo, high-powered offense, they do really well on the offensive end. And our defense may not be the best, but we, we don't allow teams to go up and score that many points against us, at least for the most part. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, USC does have an extremely talented defense. So I think what it really is is poor conditioning by Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator. He's the guy that's been with Lincoln Riley since Oklahoma. So exact same problem. Guys, on this USC defense, there's literally like four and five-star guys. There's guys like Thule, uh I can't pronounce his last name, but he's, he's going to the NFL, and then there's – uh, Makai Blackman, who is a superstar corner. I mean, they've got tons of talent, just like at Oklahoma. They had a couple of guys who were like NFL guys as well. But yet they collapse in these games. It, I think it's because the conditioning, whatever conditioning Alex Grinch is doing for the defense to try to get them prepared, because they know, they have to know going into it, they're going to be on the field more because USC's offense moves so quickly, no matter what. They're going to be on the field two-thirds of the time, and the offense is going to be on the field one-third of the time. Somehow they know this, yet 
the yet they seem to fall apart time and time again. To me, there's just something wrong with what they're doing physically to prepare these guys for this game. So I'm blaming it completely on the coaching staff. I think it's the whole staff. I don't think it's just a Lincoln-Riley problem. I actually think it's really more likely an Alex Grinch problem and more likely on the defense. Um, and I, saying- I do have one question about that, though. If it's not a Lincoln-Riley problem, why is he keeping Alex Grinch on a staff? He yeah, had him at Oklahoma. Buddies. And he brought him to USC. Why is he keeping him on the staff? Yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, they're they're friends, and Grinch clearly. Well, here's the thing. Grinch clearly has a good scheme that Riley likes, but at, at a certain point, he's got to look at it and say, okay, but the guys are are falling apart. If they're super tired at the end of the game, then you can have the best scheme. It's not going to work. Uh, so. I think it's really just because of their connection together. Riley probably doesn't want to let him go. He knows he's a good defensive coordinator. It's just they just can't get the training right for these games. If you blow a 45 to 30 lead that late in the game, there's just something seriously off with uh, that's That's a situation that you never want to be in. If you've got coaches that are buddy buddy like that, you, you don't mm-hmm. want that's that's not good. That's, that's, if that's really things, what I think it is, because otherwise yeah. I think it would have been gone already. Yeah, I, I think that's really what's holding this team back. Um, we got to move on. We got a lot more bowl games to talk about here. Let's start with well it, the ReliaQuest Bowl, but we're going to call it the Outback Bowl because that's its rightful name. Uh, number 22 Mississippi State came from behind and beat Illinois 19-10 to and a pretty touching tribute for the Pirate. I mean, they played this game in Tampa. They had a Pirate ship there. Um, Mississippi State, of course, was wearing the Pirate flag on their helmets. Um this game really was at the pace of the Illini. Um, the, it was very much a defensive battle. No Chase Brown definitely hurt them, though. Uh, that's not good that they didn't have him in this game. He opted out, and I think it really hurt their production on offense. Mississippi State, they'd hit a field goal with four seconds left to take a 13-10 lead, and then somebody just had the bad beat of a century with a 60-yard scoop and score at the end of the game to make it 19-10. to I mean... If you're Illinois, this this game just it, there's no good outcome for you in this game because, of course, losing is not good. But if you win, I mean, you look terrible because you you've just beaten a team that lost its coach. To I mean, like everybody's rooting against you. I, I that's just a horrible situation to be in if you're Illinois. It really is. There was there was no winning for Illinois in this one. So I, it, even if you're an Illini fan, I don't think you should take anything from this game at all. I just feel like this game should not exist in your head. As far as Mississippi State fans, though, this is a great game because I mean it's a fantastic end of season tribute in a way to Mike Leach and his greatness, and just a very Mike Leach style game where. A bunch of really ridiculous stuff happens, and you know the lead is not indicative of the actual game at all. At the end, it's you know it's a great way to say goodbye to the pirate. Yeah, that was that was really amazing. Uh, the only thing that was really missing from this game was that I believe Will Rogers came so close, but just barely fell short of hitting four thousand passing yards for the second straight season, which would have been. Uh, really crazy, especially uh, 
considering he, he was one of Leach's favorite uh, guys that he's recruited. You know, he's from uh, the area in Texas in which Leach for, was first starting out. Uh, and so it, it's really, but it's still really great to see Will wait, Rogers. Wait, hold on, Devin. He's a Mississippi native. Will Rogers grew up an Ole Miss fan. Oh, really? Yeah, he did. I thought he was from. Uh, no, he's West not from Texas. Texas. Okay, that's that's uh, that's my mistake. Maybe I, I might be thinking of a different quarterback on the team. Possibly. But, uh, but in any case, uh, well, then that that makes it even better for him that he was able to put his team out on top. Uh, pretty funny that he's an Ole Miss fan and he's and he's at Mississippi yeah. State. That's, it, that's it pretty hilarious. It does. AJ uh, Brown was a Starkville native. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's fantastic. Uh, but uh, but Rogers. Yeah. I mean, he he played well enough. They won the game. Uh, you know, and and this was really great, especially considering they we was without Rob Rob Thomas, who who is transferring out of the team to go to Georgia. Um, and so, but yet they still found other guys, and they still found a way to get it done. So, I think Illinois is in a good spot, though. And I honestly think Mississippi State. Uh, Third new head coach, uh, like Arnett, I believe his last name yep, uh, is Zach, Zach Arnett. Arnett. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen him as a uh, as a coordinator this time with Leach, and and he really gets the guys fired up. And and I think it was only a matter of time before he was going to get a head coaching opportunity, it anyways. Was. So you know, just a little bit sooner than expected, of course, because of the tragedy that occurred. But uh, but. I think he's still ready to be a head coach, and I think he's yeah. still going to make Mississippi State a very solid, uh, at worst, team. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, Got to keep moving here. Cure Bowl, number 24, Troy held off, number 25, UTSA, 18-12. to 12. I did not see this one being a defensive struggle by any means. I mean, when you think of group of five teams, you think offense, 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 but no, that was not the case here. Uh, good win for Troy, though. Good win for their coach. Uh, what What is his last name? Summerall uh, in his first year. Uh, really incredible season for them. Yeah, best team in Alabama. Troy doing <laughs> quite well for themselves. Uh, yeah, and, and I got to say, Carlton Marshall, he is a superstar defensive player. I mean, he's got to be uh, a high NFL draft pick. Once he goes, didn't he lead the uh, – Entire FBS and, and tackles this season. It, the linebacker for Troy, prob- probably somewhere there. I haven't looked at the numbers just yet, but it would make sense if he did. Yeah, I think he was pretty high up there, and he played amazing in this game. And then he really led the defense. And yeah, they played the game on Troy's terms. You know, we figured you know it was going to go either one of two ways: either it's going to be a defensive battle on Troy's terms, and they were going to win, or it was going to be a score-agami game that UTSA was just going to outscore Troy, and they were going to win. And Troy this was got a little bit of a score-agami. <laughs> well, I guess in that sense, yeah. I meant like a – sorry, yeah. I meant like like high-scoring. You know what I mean. Yeah. Like high-scoring, yeah. you know, fireworks. And Frank Harris um, just had one of his worst games uh, in his career, honestly. And, and Troy's defense – played just so extremely well I'm mean, Troy has been really impressive in bowl games because they were showing throughout the game uh all the wins Troy had had recently it's like hey this team knows how to win the bowl game so they're going to be yep. dangerous when you play them late in the season all right Gasparilla Bowl now Wake Forest they beat Mizzou 27 to 17 in this one uh 
pretty good offensive performance from A.T. Perry, the receiver for Wake Forest. 11 catches, 116 yards in this one. Sam Hartman threw for 280 yards, three touchdowns, just one interception. Uh, you know, Mizzou just continues to disappoint in the bowl games. But the big story for me here is that Sam Hartman hit the transfer portal after this game. And this is so weird to me because he is the best quarterback in Wake Forest history statistically. I I mean, I, I don't understand it. I mean, is it a grad transfer thing? I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. But, I mean, the dude's been around for so long now that, I mean, what, what's he transferring out for? I mean, what, what about Wake Forest is not fit for him anymore, in my opinion? I mean, I, Notre Dame, I think, was the destination they said that was probable for him. But, I mean, what, why leave when you already have so much success attributed to this place? I mean, why are you trying not to be remembered as a deke? Yeah, it, it is pretty bizarre that he's transferring out. The only explanation I can really think of, because I feel like with a guy like him, he's gotten too old now to really be a true NFL prospect. So I feel like... He's I a Stetson like Bennett. Has, yeah, I feel like it has to be just that he wants a national championship and somehow, some way, he thinks he's going to get it in Notre Dame, which I don't, I don't really see as a possibility, but you and, never know. And you know what's weird about that is that Phil Dracovic uh, from Boston College has already landed at Notre Dame. So I don't – I mean, is there going to be a competition there? I mean, I, I think he did better than Dracovic did at BC, but, I mean, I, I, I can't tell what's going on here. Yeah, very weird situation. Yeah, I, I think it is more of what Dom is saying because uh, I think Hartman, you know, no matter what he's done, just because he has a tendency to uh, be rattled in some games and unravel and make huge mistakes and also he's getting older, at this point Hartman, is he knows he's likely, no matter what he does, uh, kind of like Stetson Bennett, is likely not going to be a big name in the NFL draft. So... If you're Sam Hartman and you're looking at Wake Forest going, okay, well, the peak for this team is, you know, pretty competitive, but it just seems like this team, you know, anytime soon is not going to be winning the ACC championship and, and getting to the college football playoff. Notre Dame, on the other hand, uh, with Marcus Freeman, uh, has been recruiting extremely well. They finished number six overall in this latest cycle. Uh, Freeman looks like the real deal at head coach and all he needs is a great quarterback to take him over the top and get them into the college football playoff, even with a four team playoff. Cause we've seen them put Notre Dame in there, of course, before a couple of times, even when they didn't really deserve it. But yeah. with Hartman, with Hartman, I really think Notre Dame could be an extremely dangerous team and maybe for once, uh, would actually deserve a playoff spot. Uh, yeah. It could actually be a top four team, and I think that's what he's thinking. Wants yeah, to go I, there, you know, win a championship. I think they got the defense to get. To, they have an elite defense already. They just need a quarterback, and he could be their guy. So I think that's probably what um, probably what he's looking at there. Yeah. All right, but I Gary, do love, but I do love that he uh, that he played in the bowl game. Anyways, they didn't just transfer out right away. He yeah. wanted to win with his guys one last time. I, I absolutely love that. But I, I do think it does create a bit of a weird dynamic. That's the only thing I'll say about that. Um, we got to keep moving here. Yeah. Uh, gar- guaranteed rate bowl. Uh, Wisconsin beat Oklahoma State twenty four to seventeen in this one. This was out at Chase Field, I believe. That's where the Diamondbacks played. Luke Fickle made his debut. 
in this game. Not often you see a head coach make their debut in a bowl game, uh, but it was a good win for this team. Uh, Braylon Allen ran for 116 yards and a touchdown. Chesma Lucy, uh, backup running back, had 77 and a touchdown. Most of that came from a 51-yard rush of his. Um, the Wisconsin very much won this game, playing their game, and my goodness, Oklahoma State is broken. I mean, if, if you guys have been looking in the portal or just, just on Twitter the last, like, 24 hours, I mean, there are guys – at Oklahoma State that are leaving left and right. I mean, it's just a receiver, a running back. Obviously, Spencer Sanders is gone. I mean, what has happened with Mike Gundy? He, he feels like he's – it feels like he's losing his grip a little bit. Yeah, it, it seems like his time is starting to come to a close there at Oklahoma State, which is crazy to say since he's been a fixture in that community for so long. But I think that, you know, it's just kind of another case of – this coach isn't built to hang in the NIL transfer portal era. Sometimes it's just no longer fit for coaches that have been great in the past where you just kind of have to say, you know, this is a new era now. It's different. It's not the same game and they can't really win in it. And I don't think he's capable of doing well in the NIL transfer portal era. Yeah. It really doesn't seem like he is. Um, And I was I was very surprised. I, I we got a whole segment about you know disappointing teams later, but I'll just say that Oklahoma State. I had much higher expectations for this team because I'm thinking, okay, Mike Gundy, he's the most seasoned coach in the Big Twelve now. He's the most successful coach. Surely they could at least make it to the Big Twelve championship game. And wow, yeah, that that did not end up happening. Uh, they started the season out so well and just. Come- Completely collapsed. Uh, very shocking to see. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I think uh, this yeah pretty much is looking like it's close to the end for him. And losing Jim Knowles was was tough for Oklahoma State, of course, this season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Derek Mason is, was not the answer. No. And and uh, and uh, it it's it's just you know either he's got to completely rehaul the staff again or you know it's, it's going to be time for him to step aside soon yeah i i can't tell if this is the end for him or not i mean he's been there so long so do you want to get rid of him and he's an alum too so that makes things even more difficult on oklahoma state but it i mean things just do not look good right now at oklahoma state we'll say that um liberty bowl now this game was spectacular arkansas beat kansas 55 53 in three overtimes hogs were they they were beaten on beaten up on the Jayhawks early on in this game, but they the Jayhawks, they found their way back in this one. They took it to overtime. Spectacular performance from Jalen Daniels. 544 yards, five touchdowns, just two interceptions through the air. Uh, K.J. Jefferson did kind of what K.J. Jefferson does through the air. 287, two touchdowns and a pick. Not going to blow up the stat sheet there, but still a good game from him. Ran the ball well, too, 130 yards, two touchdowns in this game. The Arkansas running backs, Rashad DeBenyon and A.J. Green, they combined for 211 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. Matt Landers, three catches, 121 yards and a touchdown. And then, of course, what it all boiled down to in this game was, you know, in the third overtime, they've created the new rule where you've got to go for two. And, you know, Jason Bean just overthrew the receiver there in that second overtime for Kansas. That's what it boiled down to. And I got to be honest, I think this was a must win for Arkansas. I mean, this was a pretty disappointing season for them, given the expectations set for them 
at the beginning of the year. But if you're Kansas, I don't think you can be too upset because, I mean, obviously it stinks to lose in a bowl game, but nobody really expected you to be there. I don't even think they expected them to be there. So either way, I don't think you can be too unhappy if you're either team in this game. Yeah, I definitely agree, but it's so sad to see the Kansas stream it is. come crashing down. I mean, just a remarkable season for these guys. Even being bowl eligible is absurd for a team like Kansas. So even getting to this game was a huge accomplishment, but it's so sad to see them not be able to pull it off. But like you said, that was really, really a must-win for Arkansas because this team had very lofty expectations in the preseason. Everybody thought they were the only team in the West that had a shot of beating Bama. And lo and behold, they're one of the more mediocre teams coming out of the SEC West, which is shocking considering how well they've done in previous seasons. So, I mean, both teams kind of got what they were looking for out of this one. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Uh, Arkansas, I was super high on Arkansas heading into the season. I had them as a top 10 team Uh, because they're extremely good defense, very good quarterback, great running backs, and amazing offensive line. And yet they just ended up losing these these close games and and then their season started to unravel. I was like, wow, that to see them at to see them lose to Missouri at the end of the season and see them finish at six and six was just shocking to me. But you know, they got way ahead. They got way too cocky. And Kansas, what an amazing effort by them to come back in this one. As you said, Tucker, they were just getting beat down. And Arkansas just looked like they were just imposing their will. And Lance Leipold got his guys fired up. And they came into the second half. And they just rallied back and made this an all-time classic game. And they come up a little bit short. But, man, their their season, their future is looking pretty bright uh, there in the Big 12. Yeah, it really is. I was not expecting this at all from Kansas. I don't think anybody was. So Lance Leipold, definitely one of the best coaches this season, really all across across college football. Uh, To the Texas Bowl now. Texas Tech got this one done, 42-25 to against Ole Miss. Tyler Shuck was a factor in this game. Not his best game through the air, just a touchdown and a pick, but his legs were the real threat. 111 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Not a great day for Jackson Dart on the other side, though. 361 yards, two touchdowns, but three interceptions for him. And the issue here, I think more so than anything, is that Lane Kiffin rolled the dice a lot early in situations where most people would not. And it reminded me a little bit of that Alabama game last year where they just got down in such a big hole early because they kept taking all these risks that they probably should not have taken. If they don't take those risks, it's a much better game. I think we saw the same thing here. And this was the end of what was, in my opinion, a pretty disappointing year for Ole Miss, or at least a disappointing finish for Ole Miss. Yeah, this was rather unfortunate there for Lane Kiffin. I mean, he's he's kind of proven the haters right these days, it feels like. Because when you take gambles like that that early in the game, it's so demoralizing when they don't pay off. Not only does it set you back on the field. Now, hold on, guys. I got one thing I need to say real quick. Uh, Joey Housley has been promoted to offensive coordinator for Tennessee. Uh, this just in, I mean, I, I'm not surprised by this move at all for Tennessee. I just wanted to throw that out there. 
Well, I think I think we'll be just all right, no matter who yep. Heupel has in there. So yep. I'm excited to hear that we have a higher finally. But yeah, I guess going back to this old Miss game, very disappointing season for these guys. I really think that this game should have been a lot closer than it was. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I wanted to say real quick, uh, you know, kind of about this is, yes, the SEC finished so strong in these bowl games, obviously with Tennessee being dominant, Georgia moving on, Alabama dominating. You know, obviously the SEC finished strong. Um, but, you know, what, what annoys me sometimes is when there are those SEC fans that like to believe other conferences and other teams, you know, don't even can't even match up. They don't even play football. And then we get into these bowl games and it ends up being pretty even. You know, I mean, the SEC wins about half of them and loses about half of them, you know, just like everybody else, pretty much. So uh, this is just one of those ones where the SEC team, again, was favored to win. Ole Miss should have won and they just got dominated. So great win by Texas Tech. Uh, I think Joey McGuire is, is proven he's a he's the real deal. He was a very uh, controversial hire when he was hired because he was going straight from because he's basically what UAB is doing now with Trent Dilfer from Lipscomb Academy in Nashville, where uh, going straight from high great high school football coach all the way to college football coach immediately, but. It looks like it's paying off for Texas Tech. He is a Texas guy, and he knows this, the area well. And uh, McGuire might build up a pretty solid program there with the Red Raiders. All right, Holiday Bowl now. This was also the same night. Number 15, Oregon, won it on a late touchdown, 28-27 over North Carolina. Drake May, you know, just 206 through the air. Not Those are not the numbers that we've seen from him all season long. He had three touchdowns, only completed probably 50% of his passes. Bo Nix, kind of a similar game, 205 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But here's the thing. Oregon had more dimension in this game offensively. North Carolina is not a team that's very run-heavy, but Oregon did run the football. And Bucky Irving ran for 149 yards, two touchdowns, Great game for him. And, of course, this game was one last second for Oregon. But overall, I do think this can be attributed to their presence in a run game and North Carolina's lack of. Yeah, and this one was really bizarre just because we all kind of thought this was going to be a huge quarterback battle, this huge duel between two very good quarterbacks and then just ends up being a lot more tightly contested, a lot more a lot more closed of a game because I thought this one was going to be blown wide open by tons of scoring. And uh, I was shocked kind of how this one went, not with the result with Oregon winning. I expected Oregon to win, but I really expected these guys to put on more of a show. Yeah. And, and but man, what a thrilling game this was. Uh, I, I feel like honestly, these bowl games have been some of the best they've been. Um, I, I can't remember a time where there was this many great, like, one-score, close bowl games. There always is every year. But this year just felt like almost every single one was. Uh, amazing spectacle to see it at Petco Park. Um, fantastic that they were able to have that game back. And even the extra point at the very end that Oregon got, was even that was super exciting because it went up and, just barely banged in off the post. It's like, wow, they could have even 
they could have even made that like any closer to make it even more exciting. But great first season for Dan Lanning. You know, everybody, including myself, was clowning on him and Oregon after they lost 49 to 3 to Georgia in the opening, which was basically a road game, but still very embarrassing. But then they turned it around and had this incredible season regardless. Uh, you know, I, and there's some building blocks there, but I think Oregon is going to be in a pretty good spot uh, heading forward with Lanning. Very impressed uh, by his season turnaround. All right, next we got the Pinstripe Bowl. Minnesota, they beat Syracuse in this one, 28-20. This very much was just like any Pinstripe Bowl that you see. Two Big Ten and ACC teams that are – kind of in the middle, don't maybe don't have the most prestigious programs, but they were in this one. Uh, Mo Ibrahim, not a super impressive game, but that's because they pulled him right after he broke the school's rushing record. So good day for him overall. Uh, the Orange actually had a 477 to 215-yard advantage in this one. And really what happened here was the Golden Gophers, they had a 70-yard pick six that kind of set the tone the rest of the way. And I think Sean Tucker not being there did hurt a little bit. The backup that they had, and I believe his name was LaQuint Allen, something like that. He was pretty good for this team. But, I mean, without the presence of Sean Tucker, I think it did hurt a lot. Yeah, just really unfortunate game for Syracuse. I mean, it's not often you see such a large difference in yardage and then a team to lose like that. It, it's got to sting a bit. But, I mean, good win for Minnesota. They're a program that's kind of been – in and out of the dumpster over the years. And so maybe they're, maybe they're back on to doing decent for a while now. Yeah. I still think PJ Fleck is a really great coach. So, you know, even though it feels like they took a slight step backwards this season, uh, they finished strong and I think Minnesota is going to stick around and, and maybe they could even be a team that could blow up in the big 10 next year. You never know. Uh, it seems like that division is so wide open. Um, and then, for Syracuse, tough finish. They started the year so strong and then just completely collapsed in the second half of the season. So um, they're going to have to do some reevaluating. Um, still not completely sold on Dino Babers as the guy, but he's earned himself another year at least. Uh, and, and so we'll just have to see uh, how they can pick up next season because this was a tough way to go out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Cheese at Bowl now, number 13, Florida State. They won 35-32 to against Oklahoma. Sooners really just ran out of time in this one. They had a drive there at the end of the game, but they just couldn't get anything going there uh, or at least anything sustainable there at the end to you know get in field goal range. Uh, Oklahoma running backs, they combined for 208 yards, two touchdowns. That does not include Eric Gray. He opted out of this game. Uh and then on the other side of things, Jordan Travis threw for 418 yards, two touchdowns, and interception for the Knolls. Johnny Wilson, though, he was the difference maker here. Eight catches, 202 yards for the Seminoles. The 6'7 receiver was just bodying guys out there. He had a highlight real catch late in this game that really set up Florida State to win this one. So, I mean, you got a tale of two different seasons right here. I mean, Florida State has their first 10-win season since the Jimbo days. This is a good year for them. Oklahoma, this is their worst season since 1998. So two very different directions we're going in here. Yeah, and I honestly did not even expect Oklahoma to hang with Florida State at all. So, I mean, that's a bit that's a bit 
of a uh, little achievement they can hang their hat on, but at the same time, it's quite the miserable achievement in the context of where they've been the past couple years. Just really, really stark contrast between these two Oklahoma teams. And then Florida State, they just, you know, they are finally back, maybe. I don't, I don't ever like to say back for sure, but maybe. Yeah, yeah, you almost never, yeah, like to say back unless it's like two or three years in a row where they're really playing great. But, I mean, Norvell, uh, you know, he's taking his time. They've given him enough time, which was fantastic. Now it's finally paying off. Uh, it, it really looks like this team is heading in a great direction. And maybe, you know, maybe they can compete with Clemson and knock Clemson out for the ACC title next season. Uh because this team is, is really heading in a good direction. Uh, I, I will say, shockingly good cheese at bowl, especially that fourth quarter. Oh, my goodness, that fourth quarter was amazing. The, the first three quarters were good, but, wow, the game just completely blew wide open in the fourth. Um, so super thrilling game. Dylan Gabriel is an amazing quarterback. Uh, and Jordan Travis, of course, is an amazing quarterback. And, and Johnny Wilson – He's been a good receiver all year long, but I think he just showed a lot of NFL scouts his his true potential, and there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be wanting him at some point soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, over to the Alamo Bowl, number 12 Washington. They beat number 20 Texas 27-20 to in this one. Uh, no Bijan Robinson or Roshan Johnson for Texas, so that hurt them quite a bit in this game. They had just 51 yards on the ground, which that's that's just not good at all for a team that's been relying on pretty good running backs all year long. And, you know, the really the difference in this game was Washington's run game. I mean, it felt like Ewers and Penix were missing guys a lot of the game, but Wayne Talapapa running for 108 yards and a touchdown, averaging between seven and a half and eight yards a carry, that's pretty ridiculous. So, um you, you know, just the fact that they had a guy that could run the ball in this game as opposed to Texas was the big difference, in my opinion. I mean, I didn't feel like Penix played his best game for Washington by any means. Yeah, with this one, I really do think that Texas probably would have won if they had Bijan. That guy, I, watching him play this year has been very incredible to see. Sorry, you kicked me out. Someone was trying to call me. But uh, like I was saying, Bijan has just been incredible in the way that he's been able to move the ball down the field nonstop. He, he's just incredible to watch. So I was really disappointed to not see him in this game. But this is disappointing for Texas for sure. They had a great start to the season. We thought they might beat Bama and then just kind of slowly boils into mediocrity for them. Yeah, I mean, I will say, though, uh, yeah, Bijan definitely would have made a difference there, but it was basically a home game for Texas. I mean, there was way more Texas fans um, than Washington fans, obviously so much closer to Austin. And who knows, with Southwest, I mean, Southwest canceled Tucker and I's flights. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. And so imagine if you're living in Seattle, you're planning to go to the Alamo Bowl. I mean, 
I don't know that because that was around the same time that they there might have been a lot of Huskies fans that literally couldn't make it to Texas in time for the Alamo Bowl. So it literally was like a home game for Texas. And so Washington essentially wins on the road against the top 20 team. Uh, yes, without their biggest star, but still, it wasn't exactly a neutral site game. So I think it was pretty impressive by the Huskies. 11-2 and record. Uh, I also think Washington's a very similar team to Tennessee at this point. They went 11-2. Kalen DeBoer built up another program before going to Washington. He's an offensive-focused guy. So I think they're very similar to Tennessee, and I think they're probably heading in a very similar direction as well. Now, with Penix coming back next year, that only makes things um, even more possible for the Huskies to win the Pac-12. Definitely. Uh, Sun Bowl now. The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl out in El Paso, Texas. Pittsburgh beat number 18 UCLA uh, 37 to 35. This was on a last second field goal. Uh, the Panthers trailed the entire way in this game. Opt outs were definitely a factor here. Well, they they happened. I mean, Zach Charbonnet and Izzy Abanacanda both opted out, but you had other guys that stepped up in their places. TJ Harden for UCLA had 111 and a touchdown on the ground. And uh, for Pitt, Rodney Hammond ran for 93 yards, two touchdowns. We kind of knew Pitt had a few pretty quality running backs. It was just a matter of who was going to step up this year, and it was a Banacanda. Um, this was a good enough game for Pitt's offense, it felt like. And the issue here for UCLA more than anything, DTR, he did play in this game. He didn't opt out. Um but he did throw three interceptions and, you know, turning the ball over, especially when you got to lead the entire way. That's, that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. There's just no way they were going to win throwing three picks with the kind of game that Pitt was playing. And I mean, Pitt, they honestly end up having a very respectable season here with this Sun Bowl win. I, I thought this Pitt team would be a lot better after watching them play Tennessee because for whatever reason, teams really, really like to show up when they're playing against us. But, you know, they end up winning this one and they get their season sort of to that respectful mark. And I was just surprised to see the fact that Pitt actually pulled it off. Yeah, and, and what a game for a kicker, Ben Sauls, as well. He was nailing all sorts of really difficult kicks because uh, I think the wind was – going it, super strong. It, it was game. blowing awfully hard. I mean, you watched the end of that game, the final kick. I mean, it was blowing really hard, but he managed to stick it in there. Yeah, and so really impressive game from him. Patty, um, you know, we've seen some improvement from him from last season, so he's, he's slowly getting uh, better and better, so we'll have to see maybe he's the quarterback for Pittsburgh next season. It is possible, uh, and if he is, you know, he might have a lot of confidence heading into next year thanks to this huge win. And, and DTR, you know, what at least one of those interceptions was not really so much his fault. But I remember seeing another one of them that he was just really, like, forcing it in there. Bad decision. So he's, he's just, like, kind of got that same problem, kind of like Sam Hartman, where, you know, he makes a mistake or two, and then it turns into bigger mistakes later. It starts to unravel. He has to find a way mentally to get just shake that stuff off and get back to uh, what was working beforehand. And if he does, I think he could be an amazing quarterback at the next level. But, um, you know, that's just something he's got to work on. All right, to the Gator Bowl now in Jacksonville. This one, 
I think we didn't really know what to expect here. And I think that's the best way to sum up this game. You really didn't know what to expect. Number 21, Notre Dame. They beat number 19, South Carolina, 45-38 to 38 here. And I don't really have a great statistical breakdown of this game because it was just big plays left and right. I mean, you had, for example, you had a 100-yard pick six from a guy by the name of O'Donnell Fortune for South Carolina. I mean, it it just wild stuff kept happening all game long. I mean, Tyler Buckner, I think he had three touchdowns but three interceptions additionally. I mean, Spencer Rattler, not the cleanest game from him either. He had a fake field goal attempt for a touchdown for South Carolina with Kai Kroger, who's like, probably their best quarterback on the team, which is pretty funny considering he's their punter. Um, but it was very interesting to see Notre Dame win this game, just knowing that they've uh, they've been playing a very defensive uh, scheme all, all season long. They haven't really been able to develop the big plays offensively. And, uh, you know, it, it's also kind of funny that uh, South whoever, – whoever that was in Gamecock Nation that decided to fly a – a little banner from the plane on South Beach, just trolling Tennessee and Clemson the day of, and they get beat right before our game starts. Um, that's that's just funny. I, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I feel like South Carolina just has this policy of being the most messy team they can possibly be, and they lived up to it in this game. And I was just very happy to see them lose. I really did not care about anything other than seeing them lose. Yeah, I was I, I typically, you know, root against Notre Dame because I think they're overrated, but not this time. I think Notre Dame was very properly rated and and South Carolina, of course, was so annoying uh, this season. So I was very happy to see Notre Dame take him out. I really think the Irish now with Freeman could be the real deal. Uh, I think I'm very impressed with Marcus Freeman, one of my favorite coaches in the game right now. Uh, and, and what he's doing in the portal, what he's doing recruiting, how he's inspiring his guys to go out and win these tough games, how they're able to come back and win this one. Very, very impressive for Notre Dame. They finally win a big bowl game. I did not think I was going to see it, honestly, uh, ever. So um, now they finally get a huge victory. I think there's a lot of good things heading forward for them in the future. Okay, uh, a couple more quick hitters before we get to our next segment. First, let's talk about the Music City Bowl. Uh, Iowa won this game 21-0 against Kentucky, and we thought this game was going to be like a first-to-six type game, and that was not the case. Iowa scored 21 points, and, you know, if you're looking at the score, you're thinking, okay, Iowa played a little bit better on offense than we expected. Nope. One offensive touchdown, two defensive touchdowns, Kentucky was miserable on offense. This this game was just kind of a slightly different result than what we expected. But at the same time, it was still kind of what we expected. I mean, the only Iowa's only offense was their defense. I mean, that's that's just the best way to describe it. Brian Ferentz did not improve his offense whatsoever in this game. Yeah, just another stupid game from both these teams. I mean, there's not much to love about watching either of these teams. Kentucky's just been miserable all year long, especially at the end. And then Iowa, Iowa just has its own reputation at this point across the nation for being this despicable program that only plays defense which in today's day and age everyone kind of hates because it's all about offense in every single sport now 
I mean, even in uh, basketball, I mean, we've seen some of the highest scores we've seen in a long time. Football, it's all these 45-point games. It's just there's no defense to be found anywhere in the sport besides Iowa, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Even even in hockey, there's like higher scoring games now because of the highly skilled guys coming up. Uh, so it's just like, what, Iowa, you're stuck in like the 19, I don't know, 1950s or 60s or something yep. with your offense. Absolutely. It's like, geez. Uh, but uh, yeah, wow, Kentucky, oof, disaster. <laughs> it's yeah. a disaster. I, I don't think we expected much from them just with the opt-outs that they have. But, you know, if we're, we're going to get into the transfer so. portal a little bit next week. But um, they things are looking better for them. I mean, they're getting back their offensive coordinator that they had last year. And then they also, um, yeah, they also are getting oh, Liam, Dan and Larry Liam. from NC State. So yeah, Liam, Liam Cohen's Cohen the offensive coming... coordinator. They're bringing back, so they're bringing, oh, yeah. they're bringing in some good people. So maker. I don't think you can be too upset if you're Kentucky because you know the future is definitely bright, as bad as this season was compared to the other ones you've had. So I don't think you can be too upset. Uh, just a couple more quick hitters here. Bahamas Bowl. We had Miami of Ohio. Coming up just a couple yards short, losing to UAB 24-20. to This one really did come down to the wire. And, I mean, you hate to say it because, I mean, I'm from Nashville and I've met Kevin Dyson on a few different occasions. But, I mean, the ESPN analyst hit the nail on the head with this one and that it was just like the Titans Super Bowl game. And that's just the truth, sadly. I mean, they, they hit the nail on the head with it. <laughs> Yeah, not much, not much really to say besides what you've said on this one. To be honest, yeah, I think UAB they're going to be an interesting team to pay attention to in the future with Trent Dilfer coming in. Um, obviously, like being from the Nashville area as well, I've been hearing about how insane Lipscomb Academy has been all season. Um, they literally played my high school team earlier in the year. And heading into the fourth quarter, Lipscomb Academy was up 70 to nothing. So they, you know, canceled the rest of the game. <laughs> they forfeited the rest of the game. And so Lipscomb Academy won 70 to nothing. Um, but, you know, they were a pretty insane team this year. And, and Dilfer won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. Uh, he's, he's an interesting guy coming up for UAB. They're in a very fascinating spot heading forward. Yep. All right. couple more for us. Uh, the Lending Tree Bowl, that was in Mobile, Alabama. I want to just highlight an individual performance here. Southern Miss won this game 38-24 over Rice. But Frank Gore Jr., yes, that's exactly who you guys think it is, ran for 329 yards and two touchdowns in this game. That's absolutely ridiculous. Probably the best performance out of anybody throughout all of bowl season. Yeah, incredible performance. And I mean, if his dad's like 80, he's got to be like at least 40 years old. It's just yeah, really we, impressive. We don't know how old Frank Gore is. He well. might be a little bit older than we think he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was really incredible to see. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was a pretty solid, solid game there. Uh, Southern Miss, they earned this one. Um and then what an amazing performance by Frank Gore Jr. I'm so glad he was able to go out on top. Yep. All right. The quick lane bowl, last bowl game we're going to talk about here. New Mexico State, they beat Bowling Green 24-19 to in this one. Not much to discuss here, but this is just the second bowl game that the Aggies have been to since 1960, and they are 4-0-1 in bowl games all time. So, I mean, they don't go there very often, but when they do, it's nice. 
Yeah, my only comment on this one is uh, they extended New Mexico State's coach, and one of the clauses in his contract is uh, little improvements for the football program, and one of them is to pave a dirt parking lot at the practice facility, <laughs> so these guys don't even have a paved parking lot. No, your your one your one job is to schedule Valpo as a makeup game at the end of the season to get you into bowl games. That's what you're supposed to do, <laughs> so you can sixty piece them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, 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 yeah, that's pretty uh, remarkable. I didn't even know about that uh, story, but uh, yeah, usually the quick lane bowl is, is typically the quick lame bowl, but this time around uh, it actually, you know, ended up being a pretty good game. So I can't, can't hate on it uh, too much, um, but uh, because both teams played pretty well and, ended up being a fun finish. So even this game was really good. Yep, absolutely. Uh, So now on to our next segment. We're going to break down the biggest winners and losers of 2022. So in the interest of time, we're only going to do just one each. Uh, Dominic, I'll start with you because I have a feeling I know who your winner of this season is. Uh, Who is it? I... I think I got to say Tennessee. I just feel like this season has... (laughs) Hey, you're you're not wrong. You're absolutely right. They were a winner this season. We were definitely one of the biggest winners of 2022. I feel like Hendon Hooker is one of the people who actually said it best over anyone else and just that, you know, we we didn't go to the playoff, but this season you had to pay attention to Tennessee. We were no longer in the basement. This was a team that was fully deserving of national attention we got multiple college game days there there's so many little wins along the way to our big orange bowl win that you just you have to love this team and you have to pay attention to them it's just been one of the biggest years in program history in terms of significance yep um for me my biggest winner i'm gonna say tcu because TCU was literally um, unranked to start the season, and now they're playing in the national championship, and everybody keeps saying they can't do it, they can't do it, they can't do it. Oh, they can't, they won't stay undefeated all season. Um, oh, they won't, you know, uh, you know, make it to the playoff. Oh, they can't even beat Michigan. Uh, Michigan's way too physical. They found themselves all the way into the national championship game, and I'm pulling for them. I'm cheering for them, and I think they really do have a legitimate shot at winning this game, much more legitimate than uh, the betting odds currently have. They currently have them as a two-touchdown underdog to Georgia, but uh, I, I really think they got a much better shot than that, and I'll be cheering for them. To me, they're they're my biggest winner. Yeah, in my eyes, it, I, there's a few out there that you can go with. Um, I'm going to go a little bit uh, deeper here. I'm going to go with the Duke Blue Devils. Um, they went 9-4 and four this season in Mike Elko's first year. And I don't think a lot of people saw this team doing as well as they did. And they were really incredible uh, defensively all season long. And to do it in a year where, you know, we're in a situation where we've got – um, lots of teams that are playing good offense, but you know we don't see quite the defense that we've seen uh, in years past. So what Duke was able to do this year defensively was great, and it really helped them out. I mean, there's a lot of other honorable mentions I could go with. I mean, Florida State had a great year. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. But I'm going to go with Duke for mine. All right, losers now. Uh, Dominic, who you got? 
Oklahoma, hands down Oklahoma. I mean, it's a good one. You have to pick Oklahoma here because Lincoln Riley leaves, and this is a program that has gotten used to routinely going to the college football playoff, to routinely being on top of the Big 12, to routinely beating Texas, and just, I feel like everything fell apart for Oklahoma this year. It just was not a good season whatsoever. They end up losing their bowl game. That's not even a bowl game that they would have ever envisioned being in. It's just, it's one of the most painful years that Oklahoma could ever possibly have, especially when you hire a defensive coordinator as your coach and the team can't even play defense. Uh, It's just, it's tough life over there in Sooner country, but at least you got the win of seeing Lincoln Riley lose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, God, this one is such a tough pick uh, because there were a lot of teams that were losers, but then they would end up doing something late in the year that would that would finish strong. But I'm going to go with Kentucky because a lot of people were hyping up Kentucky as maybe the team that could be best suited to beat Georgia this year. Obviously, Georgia was the clear number one favorite of the East. We all knew this. But after them, then it was just a debate between Tennessee and Kentucky. Well, Tennessee uh, clearly won out that debate uh, by a lot. And Kentucky was way less competitive than people thought. They definitely took a step backwards. They got some good things coming in for next season. But to get shut out in your bowl game to Iowa as well, uh, that's a disappointing finish to me. Uh, they're the biggest loser uh, based on expectations and how everything's gone to end the year. Yeah, it was a tough season for sure with them. Um, but, you know, like you said, Devin, I think there's better things to come for that Kentucky team. And I think that, you know, as as difficult as this season was, what they're getting out of it yeah. is going to be a lot better uh, looking yeah. back. Um, I, guess you, I guess I could say Florida as well. Florida kind of similar. I was actually going to say that Florida is oh. my biggest loser in uh, SEC or just in general. And here's why. I mean, Billy Napier starts the season off six or his first season at Florida six and six. And, you know, I mean, Florida, they, that's a program that you should not be losing to certain teams. Right. I mean, there's about three games a year that you can make an excuse for, like say Georgia, LSU, Florida state, and when Florida state's good. I mean, those are the three games that I think you can lose you know, here and there for Florida and be okay with it. But the fact that this team lost to Tennessee, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt all in one season, that is awful for Florida. I mean, it is actually terrible. And, you know, Billy Napier, I mean, he doesn't have a lot. There's just not a lot of good stuff coming in. I thought this dude felt like a Butch Jonesy type character, uh, you know, as the season's gone on. And yes, they had a few fairly impressive wins early on in the season. Like they beat Utah and then, you know, they beat South Carolina who ended up having a not bad year. But I mean, Anthony Richardson had a very just not spectacular season and he's going to the NFL draft now. And then, you know, you had that happen. He opts out because he's going to the NFL draft. Of course, your backup gets arrested. He's now off the team. You have all these guys opt out for your bowl game. You get destroyed in your bowl game by Oregon State, who's, I mean, they're respectable, but there's still no reason any Florida team should ever be losing to a team like Oregon State. And what's saddest of all, 
is that Florida had to kick a field goal at the end of this game to keep their little scoring streak alive. They didn't even do it because they thought they had a chance in this game. So, I mean, I, I don't see a way that there's a bigger loser than Florida is this year. So I've that's that's mine, and I'm standing by it. Okay, one last order of business before we get out of here. Georgia and TCU in the national championship. Who do we like to win this one? I got to take Georgia. I don't think that Georgia's going to get caught lacking twice. I just don't think they're that kind of team. I think they're the team that is just able to – bounce back when they have a close close game like the Ohio State one. I think that Georgia just – I think their defense will actually show up for this one. They didn't really show up for the game against Ohio State, but I think Georgia's defense will show up for this one. And Stetson Bennett is, honest to God, an X factor. I think that guy is capable of taking his team and making sure they win. He's just one of those guys where – He's not necessarily the best player on the field at any given moment, but he is one of the ones that's going to make sure you win. Yep. Well, my brain is telling me to pick Georgia uh, because there's just no way they, uh, you know, as Dom said, you know, they they were exposed against Ohio State, and and that's going to cause them to play much more tougher in practice, you know, much more focus, and and probably come out in this national championship game and dominate. However, my heart's telling me to pick TCU uh, because they've just been that team that's played with heart all season long. They found ways to come back. They've battled the odds. And you know what? I'm going to go with my heart in this instance and pick TCU. I can see them really pulling this one off and being the improbable national champions. Oh, man, this is tough. I mean, I, I – Again, Devin, I'm with you very much, man. I want I want to see TCU win this game, but I have a brain, and the brain is telling me to pick Georgia. Unfortunately, I mean, I just think that you know the way this team reloaded this season was impressive. I mean, they lost a lot of pieces on the defensive end going in, and to do what they've been able to do this season is just very, very impressive. And I don't think TCU has seen a defense quite like what they're about to see with Georgia. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny. We've got a 2016 Liberty Bowl matchup for the national championship. Who would have thought? Really, who would have thought they'd be there? Uh, but, yeah, that's who I'm going to go with. I am going to go with the Georgia Bulldogs. All right. Yeah. That is going to do it for us today on Neyland's Basement. It was a bit of a longer episode. We had a lot to discuss. Uh, but that's it for us. For Devin Hoke, Dominic Throngard, I'm Tucker Harlan. We will see you guys one more time next week to discuss the national championship and do some way too early predictions next week.